Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. What's up, friends and family in the room? Thanks so much for hanging out with us. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. For those of you joining us online, on YouTube or Facebook or Vimeo, thanks for crashing the party. Uh, We'd love to have you here in person, live and in person one day. Um, Come check out the website, discoverrevo.com, for more details. Um, But we have been going through this series on prayer. 21 days uh, our our, our church has been praying together. It's the third year in a row we've done this in them. We've taken four Sundays uh, of, the, of the first part of the year for the last three years to talk about prayer. Now, why would we do that? Like, that's a, that's a big emphasis. That's a big focus. All the dudes have been gathering on sat, uh, Saturday morning at 7.30 from both campuses to pray. What's the big deal? Why does that matter? Why would we do that? Why would we talk about that? Why would we spend so much time on that? It's really, really crucial for us to understand this aspect of prayer. And so I wanna, I wanna do it by giving you an example um, I've, I've got a flashlight here in my hand, and um, much like this flashlight, every person in this room was created for a purpose, on purpose. Everybody here, you're not by accident, like you might have been a surprise to your mom and dad, but you were not a surprise to God. Uh, nobody here is a throwaway, nobody here is an accident, no one here is, is just here taking up space and doesn't have a purpose, and, and this flashlight was made on purpose, for a purpose, just like you, and just like me. Now, when you understand who Jesus is and you meet Jesus for the first time and God radically changes your life, it's like what happens when you put batteries in this flashlight. Because once you put batteries in this flashlight, now this flashlight has the power to fulfill the purpose that it was created for, on purpose, for a purpose. When you radically encounter Jesus and he changes your life, like he's done to so many people in this room, like he's done to my life, what happens is we get the power that we need in order to live out the purpose that God has created us for. But just like this flashlight, it was made on purpose, for a purpose, and it has batteries in it. But here's what prayer does. Prayer is actually the thing that turns on the light. Right? Prayer is the thing, like, look, if you were made with a purpose, on purpose, And if you have the power that you need in order to be the person that God has called you to be, but you never actually access the power source, then you'll never understand why you're here. You'll never understand what God's next step for your life is. So, like, I know Christians that that know God, know people that know that God has created them on purpose for a purpose, and they know that they have the power that they need in order to be the man or the woman that God has called them to be. But until you pray and turn the light on, you won't be able to see You'll never be able to access the power that God has given you to fulfill the purpose that God has made you for if you don't turn it on. Like turn, just turn the light on. But here's the, here's the problem with a lot of people with prayer. This is how we pray and this is how we approach kind of, uh, of prayer. If we are this flashlight made on purpose for a purpose and God has given us the power that we need in order to accomplish the things that he's called us to, here's what most of us end up doing. God, Sorry about that. <laughs> Bright light. <laughs> Y'all want to see? Okay. Uh, help. God. Oh, God. <laughs> help me. 
And that's what we'll do. That's how, that's how we'll treat prayer. When we get in a jam, when we get in trouble, when we have our backs up against the wall, then we'll use prayer and then we'll turn the light on. But here's what we do too often. We'll turn the light on and we'll pray just long enough to where we can, okay, all right, I see everything around me. All right, good. And we'll turn it off and then we'll try to continue to walk in what God has called us to with the light out. And I don't know if you've ever walked through your kid's room at night and they didn't clean their room up before they went to bed. And you're walking through the room and you're trying to be quiet and, and you're stepping on Legos and hitting your shin on furniture and stepping on squeaky stuffed animals and all of that. Like you're, you're stumbling out. And, and come on, man, I don't know if you've ever felt like that way in life, but sometimes in life it feels like, like an aimless wander. It feels like we're walking around like, what am I doing here? What's my purpose? Does any of this matter? Who am I? Am I even doing what I'm supposed to be doing? What is the purpose all of it? In the meantime, we're, we're running into walls and beating our shins up against heavy furniture and stepping on Legos and, and all of that, like just trying to wander through life when the whole time God has given us exactly what we need to see the path that he has before us. Like he's given us not only a purpose, not only the power to accomplish that purpose, but God now says, man, if you'll just turn on the light, you'll be able to see. You want to know what your next step is? Turn the light on. You want to know where you need to go in life? You need to know the places where you need to avoid the pitfalls, the mistakes that you need to walk away from? Easy. Turn the light on. But so many people, even though they have a freshly charged flashlight in their hand that could produce lots of light to help them see where they're going next. So many people just choose to treat it like this, like just one second or two, God, please help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Okay, I got it. And we'll walk a little way until we hit a wall. And then we'll look up and say, oh, okay, all right, please, God, God, help me, God, 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 God. okay, okay, good. And the whole time, God said, man, I, no, I design, you gotta turn this on. You gotta turn it on. That's exactly what, what prayer does. That's why it's so important to us. That's why I want you to, to grasp it because even if you know you were made for a purpose and you have a purpose, even if you know that God will give you everything that you need in order to become the man or the woman that he's called you to be, if you don't turn the light on, you don't know where to go. You don't know what your next step is in your marriage, in your finances, with your job, in your career. You don't, you don't know any of that. And so prayer actually allows us to see instead of stumbling around life blinded, not knowing where anything is, not knowing where to go, not knowing where the end of the tunnel is, why don't you turn the light on? Just turn, turn the light on, and that's what prayer allows us to do. It helps us to discover the plan that God has for us. We get to see the purpose that he has, the next steps, where to go, where not to go, the decisions to make. Helps prevent us from hurting ourselves in many instances. There's just so many different advantages to prayer. And so if you knew that you had a purpose, and you knew that you could access the power. But God knows that until you turn it on, you will continue to struggle. You'll continue to be lost. You'll continue to be in the dark. You'll continue to hurt yourself. You'll continue to waste time and move in the wrong direction, just kind of exploring your way through life, stumbling and tripping over everything until God says, just turn the light on. Just turn it on. That's access. Do you understand you have that power? Do you know what you have access to? But you're holding the light to shine the way in front of you, and God just says, turn it on. Ask anytime. Don't, don't just turn it on for a little season and then turn it off and stumble into the next one. Like, just leave it on. Constantly asking God, what's next? Constantly praying. It's why it makes so much sense for us. It's why we're so passionate about starting the year off saying, we're going to pray. We're going to call out to God. We're going to be unified in that because I'm tired of wandering through life with the light off. 
I'm tired of hurting myself. I'm tired of being frustrated because I didn't know that that was right in front of me and I walked right into it. So turn the light on. I want us to look at a, a story today uh, in, about prayer in scriptures. Uh, it actually appears two times in the Bible, once in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. Now, if something's written in the Bible, it's important. But if something is written twice in the Bible, like that's a big red light. That's a flashing. God says, don't miss this. I'm gonna, it's so nice. Make it twice. Like I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this. I want to share this with you. This story that we're going to look at today actually appears two times in Scripture, once in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament. Here it is in James chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Words on the screen behind me. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. You ever been cruising the internet, and uh, you run across like a, a provocative headline? I call it clickbait. That's what they want you to do. Like They got a bunch of headlines, videos, pictures on the main page, and they just say one line. It's just one thing, and their hopes is that you will click on that link or maximize that video and, and listen to it. And so they got to come up with some title. They got to come up with something that will make you stop and say, oh, I got I, I to gotta read that. I, I have to click on that. I, I want to see what that's all about. Uh, I was on ABC News a while back, and there was a picture along with a video that is the perfect example of clickbait to me. Um, the article was this. Here's the only headline I saw. Dog drives car in circle for an hour. So I did what every person in here would have done. I clicked on it. I watched the video. Check this out. I saw this car going around in a circle, and uh, it was doing it for about an hour. And when the cops got the door open, the black dog jumped out. <laughs> I was like, they should give that thing a license. <laughs> Look at that dog. It's like, peace. <laughs> He's got the air conditioner on, windows rolled up, whatever radio he wants to listen to. I don't care how much self-control you have, nobody in this room would have been like, ah, oh, a dog drives a car for an hour? Not interesting. Like, you would have clicked on that link and, and watched that video. If you saw in the video, they're like, there's pieces of mailbox in the cul-de-sac. Dog don't even care. He is going to ride till he dies. Like, it's just a good time. And then, I like the woman said, when we opened up the door, the dog just jumped out like, no big deal. All right, fun's over. I'll go back to digging holes in the backyard. I think that's what this James text is. I think James wrote two verses, just like two sentences, to provide something that would make the reader stop and say, hey, so what now? Local man prays that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it didn't. More at 11, right? <laughs> and so he wrote it, and so it's almost like, wait, wait, is that what he said? Like he, two sentences, that's what the man said. It didn't rain for three and a half years. A man prayed that, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Are you kidding me? And so it's designed to make, okay, now I got to go look that up, right? And so the story actually happens in the Old Testament in the book of First Kings. We're going to look at the story today. It starts out uh, in, in chapter 17 of First Kings. Let me give you the, the background. Um, we start with an evil king. The king's name is uh, Ahab. He is over the nation of Israel, over God's people. Problem is, he's a king that doesn't love God. In fact, he worships a ton of different idols, a ton of different other gods, and he is married to the most notoriously evil woman in all of the Old Testament, a woman by the name of Jezebel, and both of them don't like God, they worship other gods, and they convince God's people 
to begin to act like them, to talk like them, to worship like them. Well, God's not going to have any of that. So as was a pattern in the Old Testament, God would send a prophet. This is a, a preacher with a specific message. Hey, go tell my people they need to come back to me. They need to turn back. Don't worship other gods. Don't go in a different direction. You need to come back to me. Tell my people to come back to me. That's exactly what Elijah does in verse uh, 1 of chapter 17. The problem is the people don't listen. The people don't listen, and so they continue to run from God. They continue to reject God. We don't like you, God. We don't want to do things your way, God. We're going to do things our way, and we're going to worship idols however we want to. And in chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, here's the evil king, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. It will not rain again. Like, it won't even have dew on the ground in the morning until I pray and I say that the rain can come. The people did not listen to God, so Elisha said, that's fine, but here's the deal. With every decision you make, every choice you make, there'll be consequences. And here's what God has done. God has given you and I the opportunity to either accept him and roll with him or reject him. He's not going to twist your arm into it. He's not going to force you to, to follow his commands. He's not going to force you to do life his way. But you got to understand, with every choice you make, there are a consequence. It's a consequence for us. Let me get real with you real quick. There are people in this room that are in a tough season right now because in the last season of your life, you looked at God and said, I don't want to do things your way. I don't care about you. I want to do my own life. And God looked at you and said, okay. And over the course of a season, when you took the wheel, you drove your life straight into a ditch. And it's your own fault. They come to this side. They didn't like that over there. <laughs> That's where these Israelites are. I can say that because I've been there. There have been seasons where I knew what God told me to do. I knew what the Bible, I knew that the key to happiness and joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in life was following Jesus and doing life God's way, but I didn't want to do it God's way, and God just looked at me and said, okay, Nathan, try it your way then. And I, I drove that sucker straight in the ditch and wrecked it. Here's the amazing thing. This is right what the Israelites did. That's exactly what happened. Elisha said, please come back to God. Please listen to God. Please do money God's way, do marriage God's way, do relationships, do decision-making, do life God's way. God loves you. God has a plan. And the people said, nope, I'll do it my own way. I want to do it. I don't need God. I don't love God. I don't trust God. I'll do it my way. And God said, okay, we'll see how that pans out. And for three and a half years, they ran from God, and not a single bit of rain hit the surface of the earth. And you can imagine what happens when it doesn't rain for three and a half years. The people don't have any way to grow crops. All of their livestock dies. The livestock is where their money was. So they lose all of their money. They lose all of their food. And then the people begin to die. Because you can only go without water for so long. In three and a half years, they totally wrecked their life. And God said, well, if you want to worship those other gods, ask them for the rain. Hey, if you want to do things your way, then, then, then why don't you figure out how to get money? Why don't you figure out how to be wealthy? Why don't you figure out how to, you told me you didn't want to do it. So here's your shot. And they ran their life into the ground. 
But after three and a half years, the people finally got desperate. They finally got humble enough. And King Ahab came back to Elisha and said, I'm sorry, we did the wrong thing. You're right. He is the one true God. He is the only one that can provide. His way is the best way. And we have just spent three and a half years of our life proving that. And they repented. The word repentance literally just means to turn from one direction, do a 180, and begin to walk in the other direction. Here's the good news that we can learn from this. Some of you have been walking in the total opposite direction of God for a season, and now you're dry, and you're desperate, and you're hurting, and you've got nowhere else to turn. And the great part of this story is Scripture says that in a moment you can repent of that and turn back towards God, and God will welcome you back every time. They got desperate enough. They'd been trying on their own. They got desperate enough to say God was right. They humbled themselves and they came back to Elisha and said, you, you were right, Elijah. God is the one true God. And they began to, to worship him again. So three and a half years they waited. Three and a half years takes place from chapter 17 to chapter 18. And finally they come back and they said, Elijah, you were right. We wanna follow God. We wanna honor him. He's the way to life. He's the way to happiness. He's the way to fulfillment. And in verse 41, they finally repented. They said, we're gonna turn back to God. They started worshiping God again. And here's what verse 41 of chapter 18 says. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. Elijah, being a man of God that prayed and communicated with God, here's the first thing that prayer does, man. First benefit, first help that it puts in our life. Jot this down. Prayer helps you to hear the inaudible and to see the invisible. Prayer, you communicating and talking with God, helps you to hear the inaudible and see the invisible. That's exactly how prayer works. You can't see the results yet. You don't know how it's going to work out. But when you pray, you say, God, I don't know how it's gonna happen. I don't know how you're gonna do it. I don't know when it's gonna happen, but I trust you. I believe in you. And so even though it hasn't happened, even though you haven't answered yet, I'm still gonna pray. I'm believing God for things that I cannot see and believing God for things that I cannot hear. I love how Elijah here says, hey, you hear that? It sounds like a storm's blowing in. And King Ahab's like, bro, I don't hear anything. I don't see anything. There's not a cloud in the sky, man. What are you talking about? It hasn't rained in three and a half years. And all of a sudden I come to you and our first conversation is, oh, I hear the storm rolling in. I don't hear anything. But Elijah prayed and God allowed him to see what the future held. He allowed him to see, because they turn back to me, then I will bless them. Then I will meet their needs. Then I will prove to them that I am the God that provides for people's needs. That's how prayer works. When you go to God in prayer, you get the faith to see the unseen and to hear the unaudible. Next verse, he says in verse 42, so Ahab went off to eat and drink. He went off to party. He went off to say, hey, we're gonna celebrate now because God is, is gonna provide. That's, that's what the pastor said to go do. But Elisha climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Second thing that prayer does that is super helpful but super difficult, prayer humbles us. Prayer humbles us. Uh, as a guy, uh, I hate asking people for help. I knew that's a stereotype, uh, but it is an extremely accurate stereotype uh, for men. 
Uh, ladies, I don't know if you are married to one of these. Don't look at them right now. Don't nudge them. Uh, but you know, guys, we hate to ask for help. There have been uh, home improvement projects at my house uh, that my wife desperately wanted me to seek help on. Um, she said, uh, well, calm down, Elizabeth. <laughs> All of a sudden, she's like, preach, amen, yes, yes. I'm like, hey, I want to redo our floor, Elizabeth. She's like, let's pay somebody. I was like, Elizabeth, when you married me, you married a handyman. She's like, Nathan, I got a good job. We can afford to pay for it. Don't even worry about it. I can afford it. We'll pay for it. Let's pay somebody. Let's get him. I was like, don't worry about that. I can do it. So what happened was it took twice as long, and I paid twice as much until I ultimately got to the point where I was like, hey, you know what we ought to do? We ought to call somebody in here to come finish this, right? <laughs> we ought to call a pro in, right? Let's finish it. So they finished my kitchen, and then like two years later, we wanted to do, redo the flooring in our den, in our dining room, and Elizabeth's like, I want to take this carpet up and, and like put hardwood floors in here. It's like, I got it. I'll do it. Don't worry about it. Just pick out which ones you want, and I'll do it. And she's like, no. Nah. No, you remember what happened last time, don't, right? We like just pay somebody to do it. Pay a professional. I hate asking people for help. You want to know why? Because when you ask somebody for help, it's basically saying, I can't do it. You got to admit that you can't do it. You got to admit that you're in over your head, that you don't know what you're doing. And when we come to God, in essence, we're having to admit, God, I can't do it. I need some help. If I could do it, I would have done it, and I wouldn't be here asking you. But the fact that I'm asking you is because I can't do it. I don't know what to do. I don't even know where to start. There are so many people that are in a tough season right now, a bad spot in their marriage or a really bad spot in their finances, in your career and in your life. And it's not because God left you. And it's not because God doesn't care. But it's because some of us have an ego that is so big and pride that gets in the way that it won't even let us come to God and ask for help. Like God looks at us and says, just ask. I got a plan. I know how to do it. I got a way. I wrote it out for you. And hope, but like, just ask, just seek it. And we're like, nah, God, I'm good. I got it. I'm smart. I can do it on my own. I'll figure it out. Don't need any help. Don't need to pray. I'm a man. I can figure it out. And then we find ourselves in a season where it cost us more than we thought it would. And it's been longer than we wanted it to be. And it's still not finished. And until we're willing to humble ourselves, then God will just stand by and say, whenever you're ready, I'll help. But I'll let you keep swinging as, as long as you want to. I'll let you keep spending as long as you want to. I'll let you keep wasting as much time as you want to. But when you're ready, when you're ready to turn to me and say, God, I need some help, then I'll help you. But until we can get to a point where we are willing to humble ourselves and ask for help, then God will just stand by and wait. He gives us that free choice. And prayer gets us in a position where we actually humble ourselves and we come in front of God and say, God, I need some help. I can't do it. I don't know what to do. I don't know when to do it. I've tried on my own. My God, I need some help. And scripture tells us that God hears the prayers and he'll intervene, he'll act, he'll ask. But as long as we keep him at a distance, as long as we're, we're, we're prideful and, and, and we don't want to humble ourselves, then God will stay at a distance. He'll say, all right, whenever you're ready, I'll help. Whenever you're ready, I'll step in. Whenever you're ready, I'll show you the path. Whenever you're ready to turn the light on, you'll see the next step. But if you just want to stand there with the light off, that's fine too. It's your choice. I love how Elijah 
got down. It wasn't just a random prayer. You ever heard people pray like this? It's just like, all right, God, you know, I got a situation on my hands here. Help me out. If you don't want to, that's fine. You know, if you don't have time, whatever. But uh, it sure would be nice, you know, if I could get this. Sure, it would be nice if you did this. There's prayers like that, and then there's prayers like Elijah had here, where he got on his face and said, God, if you don't do something, I don't know what's going to happen. God, I'm desperate, man. I'm on my hands and knees in front of you. God, help, please. I don't know where else to turn. I don't know what else to do. If you don't show up, it's over, God. See the difference between those two prayers? One is willing to humble themselves and call out to God, and God answered his prayer. God says, man, I'm so glad you asked. I got a plan. I got a way. I'll show it to you. Just turn the light on. I'll help you. That's exactly what Elijah did. Got on his face, put his hands between his legs, like straight on the ground, and humbled himself and began to pray. As he was praying, verse verse 43, go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. The servant went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. He's praying for rain, praying that God would honor his promises, praying that God would restore the blessings to the people, crying out to God, looks up, tells the servant, hey, walk over there, like, go look out towards the ocean. Do you see any, are there any storms blowing in? Do you see any rain coming? Like, do you smell rain? You can smell rain kind of before it comes. Do you hear it? Go over there. And the guy walked over there, a servant walked over there and said, I got nothing. Like there's no rain, no sign of rain, nothing that looks like rain, nothing. And scripture says seven times he prayed and told the servant to walk over there. And every time he came back and, and said it was nothing. Can you imagine if Elijah had stopped after two prayers? Can you imagine if Elisha prayed five times and the servant came back and said, yeah, nothing's happened, and he quit? And six times and seven times? See, Elisha teaches us something here. Number three, fervent prayer is powerful. Not just somebody that says, all right, I'm going to pray one time, God. I'm going to pray one time. If you don't answer it, then that means you're not real or you don't care or prayer doesn't work. Like, I'm going to pray just one time. Here you go, God. Or we'll put a deadline on prayer. We'll be like, all right, God, I'm going to pray this prayer, and I need to know by Friday. <laughs> So you can answer it now or Friday at 4.59, but I need it before Friday at 5 o'clock. And if you don't give it to me before Friday at 5 o'clock, that means you don't care and you're not real and this was a complete waste of time. And that happens with so many people. It happens to a lot of people. We stop too soon. We're not fervent enough in our prayer. We'll pray one time and nothing happens. We're like, okay, well, didn't work. Pray two times, three times, maybe four, five times. Six times we'll go through a season, seven times, and nothing has happened yet. Let me show you the pattern. Elisha said, I'm praying, God will answer, now go look for something. And the servant came back and said, nothing there. There's nothing there, I don't don't see anything, I I don't see a single thing. I'm praying, God will answer, now go look for the answer. Yeah, nothing here. You're not understanding me. I'm praying, God will answer so keep looking for the answer what happens most of the time is i'm praying god may not answer so i'm going to stop praying but elisha understood god answers prayers and so if he hasn't answered the prayer yet the solution isn't to stop praying it's to keep praying i'm praying god will answer 
And in the meantime, look for the answer. Look for the question to be answered. Maybe you can't see it now. Maybe it hasn't happened yet. Maybe you've prayed it a lot and there's no cloud on the horizon yet. But the answer isn't to stop praying. It's to keep praying. We're praying. God will answer. Now go look for the answer. And if you don't see it yet, start over. Next week, uh, we're going to close down the the prayer series um, with this sermon. uh, Just really wrestling with the question is, does God answer prayers? Will God answer when you call out to him? Is there a secret? Is like, how does God, you know, there are people that, that believe that God doesn't answer prayers. I'm going to make the argument next week that God answers every prayer that you ever prayed. Now, you may not like the answer, but that doesn't mean he didn't answer. You pray, God will answer. And then you look for the answer. That's exactly what Elisha did here. And in, and in verse 40, 44, I love this. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Uh-oh. Hey, I think I see something. Not, not, I'm, this isn't a category four hurricane now, but there's a small cloud, and it's white. It's not even dark. It's white. Doesn't even look like rain clouds. It's about the size of a man's fist, and I see it, but it's way out there, man. It's out there at the sea. It's not even close to the land. Like I see a, a small cloud rising from the sea, Listen to what Elijah said. Go and tell King Ahab, you better hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Hey Amen. You, you might want to go put your rain boots on. Huh? You may want to roll your pants legs up a little bit. Hey, listen, tell Ahab, if he doesn't get in his chariot and get down the mountain, he's going to get stuck up here. It's going to be raining so hard, so bad, so soon. I'm just telling you, go out there. You imagine what that servant would have been like. Bright blue sky. Hasn't rained in three and a half years. And he's like, Hey, man, you got your umbrella with you because you're getting ready to need it. You may want to get, because sometimes the road washes out at the bottom of this trail, so you may want to leave now so you can get, I don't want you to get stranded on the side of the road. Did you know that in prayer, oftentimes God does small things first to give us a glimpse of hope even before he answers the prayer? You ever heard somebody that prayed and they said, man, I can't explain it to you, but I've been praying, and even though God hasn't answered yet, I got a peace about it. You know what that is? A little cloud the size of a man's hand rose up over the horizon and it was God's way of looking at Elijah and say, I hear you and it's coming. Just keep praying. You'll hear people say things like, man, God gives me hope. God gives me peace. God gives me understanding. God gives me wisdom. And you're like, well, has the prayer been answered? No, it hasn't. It hasn't started raining yet. But those are the things that God does. Those are the little clouds that God gives us. Those are the the hopes that he has, the way that he calms our fears, the way that he gives us understanding, the way that he provides wisdom, even in the midst of the struggle and the pain. Because before it rains, God sometimes sends a little cloud, just a little one, about the size of a man's fist that will rise above the ocean as a wink to say, I hear you, trust me, I got this. I'm still in control. Hey, King, you better hit the road, man. It's getting ready to to rain big time. Like gully washer. You guys from the country? You ever heard of that? Gully washing? My grandma used to say, look outside, it's raining. Cats and dogs out there. Like, okay. It's heavy rain. I'm not talking about a little rain. It's not going to be a sprinkle. It's going to be obvious that God heard you. Last two verses. Meanwhile, (laughs) 
as he was talking, hey man, you may want to get down the hill. As he was speaking, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Last thing that prayer does for us, I can promise you this, prayer strengthens us. When Elijah prayed, God answered the prayer. And it gave Elisha the faith and the trust in order to move to the next thing that God had called him to. And every time you pray and God answers, it helps to bolster your faith. It helps to rise your level of belief and trust in him because God has another thing for you to do tomorrow. God has another purpose. God has another plan. God has another step for you to take. And so he'll prove to you that he was with you on step one and on step two and on step three so that when you get to step four tomorrow, you can look up and say, I trust you. Prayer does that. When we call out to God and we ask for his help and he answers, it's another reminder. It said, by the power of God, Elijah was strengthened. I like this, man. He's like, I don't want to get this nice robe muddy, so I'm going to tuck this bad boy into my belt and I'm just going to run to the next city because God had a plan for him in Jezreel. When he woke up the next morning and his clothes were probably still wet, he would remember God heard and God answered and that prayer strengthened his faith. Start praying bold prayers today and when God answers, see how he uses that to strengthen your faith. When you pray and ask God and God makes a way, it builds your faith. It establishes trust. It gives you ammunition for your next battle. It gives you endurance to face whatever you have for the next day. When God gives us hope, gives us peace, gives us comfort, gives us wisdom, and encourages us through those things, it kind of blows some wind in your sails. It allows you to have some energy, some vigor to face whatever tomorrow holds because God, again, proved himself faithful today. God heard and God answered. Incredible. So here's my advice to you. You want to turn the light on? You want to see? You want to see what the future holds? You want to know what next step to take? You got some things that are really on your heart and on your mind. They're uncertainties. They're causing you to lose sleep. I don't know how to make a way. I don't see any solution out of the way out of it. Can I remind you that prayer allows you to hear the inaudible and see the invisible? That if you would humble yourself today, that if you would call out for help, that God will answer. And every answer brings new faith and gives new strength to face whatever you're going to face next, to pray another time, get fervent about the prayer. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're like, man, there's been some things that are on my heart and mind I hadn't prayed in a long time. Well, get back into it. Ask again. Don't stop on six when God wants to do something on seven. Don't give up too early. It's right there. Turn the light on. Just turn it on. You were made on purpose for a purpose. God has it all laid out. You have everything that you need right now to be the man or the woman that God has called you to be. So why don't you turn the light on? Why don't you turn the light on? Why don't you pray and ask God what's next? And when you turn the light on, don't be surprised when you see the path forward where God says, man, you keep that light on. I'll keep showing you a way. I'll keep providing. Trust me. Trust me. Man, one of the many incredible benefits of prayer.